The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading this morning comes to us from James chapter 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. God, we thank you for your word. His quote on the YouTube video is this. Everything is amazing right now, and no one's happy. Everything is amazing right now, and no one's happy. A comedian a few years ago was sitting with a late-night talk show host talking about this, about our advancement in technology and focusing in on the miracle of human aviation and flight. He described how people in our culture today often relay their experiences on a plane like it's their worst, most horrific day ever, okay? We had to wait 20 minutes before they boarded the plane. Can you imagine? Then, then they had us sit for 45 minutes on the tarmac. And his response was this. Oh, oh, wait, wait. What happened next? Did you fly through the air 30,000 feet like a bird? Everyone, he says, on every plane should just be constantly shouting, Oh man, this is incredible! You're sitting on a chair in the sky! New York to California takes you four hours. It used to take people 30 years, and even then, most of them died before they actually got there. What are you complaining about? Friends, we're not good at waiting. We don't wait well, especially when circumstances around us get hard or hot or tiring or taxiing on the runway. It's one thing when you have two checkout lines to choose from, and you pick the line with the person who wants to write a check. Minor inconvenience that you have to wait for. It's a completely other thing when you're getting kicked around day after day by a bully or you're being taken advantage of by a boss in a job that you can't quit 
This was the state of the church to whom James is writing. They were getting conned by the rich day in and day out. They were getting heat from the religious day in, day out. They were getting kicked left and right. And then day after day, they were getting more and more ticked. What happens to us in these types of circumstances? What often happens is we make some bold promises. I swear to God, if he comes after me one more time, I'm going to lose it. Or we might play the blame game. For heaven's sake, if your teachers, you teachers and you administration would do your jobs, we wouldn't have problems like this in the schools. We want to join forces with the resistance. And we obsess with ways in which to alleviate our suffering, put an end to this problem, fix the frustration that we're in. But James offers a much different solution to the situation they're in. Look at the first two words of today's passage. He commands them this. Be, be patient. Wait well. Tame your temper. Justice is coming. Relief is in sight. Jesus is coming soon. The coming judge who keeps his word is the only one we must wait upon. What is waiting well upon the judge, upon Jesus, look like for those of us who've been kicked around, who've been conned, who've been mistreated? What does waiting well look like? Three images James gives us to look at, to look to as we wait upon Jesus, the judge. The first one is this. Be fixed like a farmer waits for rain. The second one is be stayed, steady, like a servant aching in pain. And the final one, be true like a witness signs their name. First, frustrated ones, impatient ones. Be fixed like a farmer waits for rain. Look with me at verses 7 to 9. Be patient, he says. The word patience James uses literally means long of temper. And it's a description similar to the Lord being slow to anger. Waiting well asks first the question, what are we waiting for? What are they waiting for? They are waiting for the wrong to be made right. The people James is writing to, aren't, they aren't being asked to excuse bad behavior and just be doormats. No. They're asked to wait in all of this injustice for the one who can and will do something about the problem. Verse 7 says, look at the farmer who's fixed upon the skies to bring rain. The farmer, he can plant a seed, he can weed the field, but he can't make fruit grow. He can only trust and wait out the process. And it's stressful, it's anxiety-producing to wait and wonder, will the rain come? 
I would have conversations with my late grandma who lived on a farm just north of here often, and they went something like this. I so miss my grandma Ruth. I'm like, Grandma, oh, it's been a really nice summer, hasn't it? Oh, yeah, Chad, but we just haven't had enough rain. Not sure if those crops are going to do well this year. And then a few weeks later, I'd go up to visit after there had been like a week of steady, nice rain. And I'd be like, Grandma, you got the rain you were hoping for. And inevitably, her impatience for fruit would kick in again. Oh, yeah, but Chad, I, I hope it doesn't flood the fields. <laughs> As she waited for the fruit, for the corn, for the wheat, for the barley to appear, she declared over and over again, I don't like not being in control of this. James wants us to be certain that the rain is coming. Specifically, the rain of God's judgment. It's coming. And he says to them, establish your hearts. Meaning, fix everything you believe on this. The coming of the Lord is at hand. The physical presence of Jesus is coming so soon that you can smell it like the smell of ozone before it starts to downpour. The bullies will be brought to justice. The bad bosses will be accurately audited. So don't, as verse 9 commands, don't start grumbling as we're all likely to do on the tarmac against the people around you. The church James is writing to is starting to turn in on each other and on one another, pointing fingers, complaining, bellyaching, moaning. The pastor, he's not persuasive or political enough. Or the people, they're not protesting or passionate enough. And he says, don't judge the people around you because your case number will be called when the judge is standing. Fixed, ready to enter the courtroom to give his verdict. If you're going to judge the farmer for not making the rain to come quicker, <laughs> you're going to be judged all the swifter. Take heart, friends, in this. Nothing will make you ache for Jesus to come back like hard, difficult, even unjust circumstances. Nothing will make you ache for Jesus like those things. One pastor writes, I've noticed that when people are hurting, they often talk about their hope for Jesus' return. But I have never heard anyone say, things are going so well I wish Christ would return right now. I can attest to that as a pastor. I've never heard that. Like the comedian observed, though, in this Western culture, we're far too comfy to want to ache and sing, come that long expected Jesus. We're settling for far less than what Jesus will deliver. And so he might be raising the thermostat in your life. He might be raising the heat church in your life, not because he loves to see you suffer, but because he loves to see you long, long for him. Long for him to bring rain to produce the fruit of all things being made new again. Long. 
Friends, church gravestones, I don't know if you know this, and the bodies that lie beneath them, typically in religious cemeteries, do you know which direction they face? East. Fun fact, when we leave this place and turn singing the doxology, which way do we look? East. Why do we look east? We're waiting for the sun that's promised to return. We're waiting for that day when our bodies will rise in resurrection and he will welcome us home. Fix your eyes to the eastward skies in your cries, in your difficulties, in your trying circumstances. In parenting children who don't appear to be at all changing, fix your eyes to the east. In confusing situations that feel like they're taking forever to resolve, fix your eyes to the east. In people who are getting away with murder, fix your eyes to the east. In awful injustices which appear to be never finding a courtroom yet, fix your eyes to the east. And in a world that seems to have no interest in the things of Jesus, fix your eyes to the east. Give up all of your timelines, friends, on what you believe and when, excuse me, give up your timeline on when you believe things need to be resolved. Throw away your watches, which are at the 11th hour. Throw them away. Instead, keep watch. Like the watchman waits for the morning, for the morning skies. Take heart. The judge who keeps his word is returning. He's coming soon. He's going to make all things new again. I'm waiting. I'm fixing my eyes on your promised return. Be like a farmer who waits for the rain. And secondly, be stayed like a servant who's aching in pain. Look with me at verses 10 to 11. James adds a new word to the patience mix. He adds the word steadfast. It's a word that means staying in place well beyond the expected outcome or expected point of time. Waiting in place beyond an expected point of time. Waiting way longer than anyone expected someone to wait. And what does he point to with steadfastness? He points to the prophet's And to the pinnacle of patience, Job, who demonstrated steadfastness. A guy who waited longer than anyone should have waited. When we see these people, when we look back on these examples of people who waited upon God through incredible sufferings, it actually does something to us. It encourages us to wait. It steadies us to wait. These people stayed in place well beyond of what was expected of impatient human beings. What does that prove? He tells us in verse 11, it proves in these people, in these servants who have ached in pain, we see the purpose of it. We see the purpose of the Lord revealing his compassion and his mercy. How does that work? Well, think of the prophet Jeremiah. He was a prophet who was known as the weeping prophet. He wept over a gluttonous people, the United States, who have no need of the Lord. Preaching the name of the Lord who would show mercy to anyone who would repent. What happened to Jeremiah? 
He was thrown into an empty cistern, an empty well, to just sink in the mud. He was left there to die. And there he waited patiently as he starved and sunk deeper and deeper down into the mud. And in the nick of time, the Lord sent ropes and sent men to pull him out. Compassion and mercy seen in his waiting. Job, who lost every blessing. He lost his home. He lost his kids. He lost his health. But he still kept his eyes patiently waiting on the blesser. His wife, what did she say to him in his waiting? Just curse God and die and be done with it. But Job kept his eyes on the prize and he responded to her with, should we accept good from God and not trouble? His friend said, your suffering's here because you must have done something to really tick God off. You deserve such a suffering. Job, no, he cried out and he complained even, but he refused to reject God. He waited. He stayed and fixed his eyes on the sky saying, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand upon the earth. Job stayed way longer in his suffering than anyone would have expected. Job and Jeremiah ministered to us the trustworthiness of the promised master that he will one day make things right. He will one day return. I've been reading a book called All Creatures Great and Small. If any of you have read this book, it's an old book from the 1920s, I think. And it's about a country vet set in Great Britain. And it is such an entertaining recounting of an animal doctor's experience, both with the animals he's treating, but more importantly, the humanity that he's meeting. And in one chapter, Harry at the vet, he comes across a cow that's suffering with a disease that will probably make her no longer able to produce milk, but probably even worse, it may be just days before this cow is going to hit the butcher block. This infection is bad and the doc is not optimistic. But he instructs the farmer who's like, what can I do? What can I do to help my cow? Because he only has two. What can I do? And he tells the farmer that if he continues to massage the infected area and regularly clears the udder of that putrid infection, there is the slightest chance that this cow is going to improve. Slightest chance. And so the vet comes back a few days later, actually ready to put the cow down. And as he walks in the barn... He sees the cow standing there, and she turns her head, and she's just happily chewing her cud. And he knows, oh, she's looking much better. And as he comes upon the animal, he's surprised by seeing steadfast. As he sees the farmer half asleep, just head resting on the animal's side, and exhausted, moving his hand over and over the infection that's gone by now. The farmer's wife says to the vet, he hasn't left her side. I've had to shove food in his mouth to get some strength in it. Steadfastness. See in Jeremiah 
and in Job and in this farmer and in this church, servants in pain who stay steadfast, waiting. Show your compassion and your mercy, God. Staying with us longer, Lord, than anyone would have expected possible. You are steadfast. This is the purpose of patience, friends, the purpose of suffering and steadfastness. From our lives and from our mouths and from our actions are people who are considered blessed because they reflected the steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases, which never comes to an end. His mercies are new every morning and every single night after night after night. A servant in pain demonstrates the staying power of faith in a God who is steadfast. Friends, this week I got three migraines in one day. I've never had that happen. You get the aura and warning it's coming and then it comes. Aura and warning it's coming and it comes. Three times that day and oh friends, oh, did my prayer life increase? Come Lord Jesus, come. Did my longing for Jesus speed up? But friends, God is using your suffering to develop your staying character, to develop and form your steadfast faith. Without suffering, friends, life would be flatlined. God's using that suffering, as Lewis says, to rouse a deaf world that they need him. Hear this quote from Malcolm Muggeridge. Suppose you eliminated suffering in this world. This is what he says. What a dreadful place the world would be if you eliminated suffering. Seems kind of an odd statement, right? He says, I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place without suffering. Because everything that serves to correct our tendency of this unspeakable little creature man to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. What is the Lord using in your life? What painful suffering like he did with Jeremiah and Job to long for the compassion and mercy of a Redeemer who has promised to return. What is he using right now? And is it stirring the words, one of some of the last words of the Bible in your own heart, friends? The longing, the staying, the ache, the last words that say, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The coming judge who keeps his word, he's the one we must wait upon. We wait upon him fixed like a farmer waits for rain, stayed like a servant who's aching in pain, and true like a witness who signs their name. Look with me last at verse 12. James finishes this sermon on patience with what initially, it it seems like a really strange pivot, doesn't it? Verse 12, above all, brothers and sisters, Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. But it's not that strange of a pivot because when things get to their most heated moment in your life and our patience is tried, guess what we do? 
we swear. I'm not talking about profanity. I'm talking about promises, oaths. The people in the church James is writing to, they, they might be jumping ship on Christianity. They might be impatiently considering leaving for a better life with less strife. And when asked, when they might be being asked, what's going on? What might be coming out of their mouths? Oaths. When I catch my children in an act of aggression, why is what comes out of their mouth something like this? Dad, I swear I didn't do anything. We're trying to cover up both guilt and make ourselves look innocent. And that's what's happening. People are swearing by heaven. Or they're swearing on their mother's grave. Or they're swearing on their beard. Or they're giving pinky promises that I'm in it till the end. But swearing gives the impression of seriousness with an escape clause. One writer puts it this way. The oath was an assertion of the truth used as a means of falsehood. When my kids say to me, Dad, do you promise? I know there's a problem with my word because I may have promised things I haven't kept and so they have to keep asking me, do you promise? As James has argued before, out of the lips comes what's in the heart. Those who are living a lie that they are in in faithfully following Jesus to the end. And he's pointing out that lie in their oaths. I swear I'm in this till the end. That those are the ones that are going to fall under condemnation. You're not in it. James says, most importantly, don't do this. Speak plainly, directly, truly. Let your words be few. Like when you sign your name, you don't need to add little hearts and little stars all around it to make it look more impressive or sincere. I'm sorry if you do that, if I just uh, called you out. When you say yes to Christ, this speaks more to the sincerity of your heart than adding all of the other window dressing like, I swear to God, or Scout's honor. The reality of the gospel, the telltale sign of a true follower of Jesus, friends, is patience is perseverance. It's the polar opposite of what the comedian observed. It's this. Everything can be awful right now, and I can be truly happy. Everything can be awful right now, and I can be truly happy. How? Look to the cross. Jesus for the joy set before him patiently endured the horrors and the awfulness of the cross. How? For the joy set before him, he saw the second coming, fixed like a farmer waiting for the rain of God's judgment. He brought God's mercy. As heaven's gates were opened up with compassion and mercy through his blood so that the fruit could come. As he stayed like a servant in pain, Jesus sang 
in his heart, Psalm 22 on the cross, which begins with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with the words, It is finished. True, like a witness, signs his name. Jesus' promise to die for the sins of humanity also included a promise to rise again and to come back. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. His yes was yes to dying. And his no was no to staying dead. James began his letter with, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Everything can be awful right now, and you can be truly happy. And he's ending this letter with a similar message, friends. Be patient. The master is coming soon. Blessed, rewarded by God, are those who remain steadfastly patient in believing he's coming soon. One author asked the question, are we prepared to take the awful patient way of God? If so, we must not be infected by the world's valuation of speed or success. The cross was slow and painful. The cross was considered a complete failure by most. But in the cross, in the awful, patient way of God, is compassion, mercy, and the promise of a king who's going to return not as a victim, but as a victor. Be patient, saints, in your suffering. Wait upon the one whose coming is so very near. So very near. Near may not be tomorrow. Soon may not be next week. You may end up facing east in the Alloway Cemetery. But a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And a thousand years is like a day. Just think of this last picture. A mayfly. Or a bayfly, I think they're, are they the same things, Shauna, maybe? Bayfly, mayfly. The lifespan of a bayfly, mayfly is how long? One day. One day. That's us. We're a mist, a vapor, as James talks about. But, one author writes, if a mayfly flew over a pond seeing a tadpole swimming under the water at the beginning of the day, and at the end of the day, and noticed no change in that tadpole, no growth, no coming out of the water in that single day of that little mayfly's life, it might believe there's no way that thing could become a frog. Our limited lifespan perspective often impatiently believes the same. There's no way he's coming back anytime soon. But according to the one who has no beginning and no end, we can never call into question how near Jesus' return is. In Christ's calendar, near to him is just a day away. So be encouraged, friends, and wait well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word which calls us to wait. 
We thank you for the patience that you have demonstrated with us, the steadfastness. No one should stick with us as long as you have stuck with us, but that's who you are. And we pray, Father, that you would do a work in each one of us to make us patiently steadfast. As we try to take matters into our own hands, Lord, quiet our mouths with our grumbling toward each other and against each other. Let's entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly and not be the judge. And Father, let's also wait in earnest hope by not having to use strong language and oaths and words and promises to say we're in, but to patiently persevere, which says we're in. I pray, Father, that you would do a work in us to make us a people of patience and waiting, longing for the day where we will see your physical face. I can't wait. Give me the ability to wait. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.